Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Just watch this. Good evening and welcome to the Mulcast. <laughs> Good evening. Good evening, France. Um, the Six Nations rears into view. The Ireland team picks itself 1-14. to 14. But the big question is, who's Ireland's 15? We all know the answer, but we're going to talk about it anyway. It's more a big answer than a big question, isn't it? I think um, Rob Kearney is, is going to start. He's... Uh, a Joe Schmidt favourite. Previous to that, he was a, a Declan Kidney favourite. He was never quite an Eddie O'Sullivan favourite, although Eddie O'Sullivan did give him his first caps. Um, Carney is, has... I'm always surprised by quite how many detractors he has. I would have uh, assumed that the guy who's probably the most decorated certainly the winningest player in the history of of Irish rugby would have more purchase really amongst the fan base but he every every time he underperforms he gets fucking slaughtered and that doesn't hold true for most other senior players at national level I I don't think he gets slaughtered and I'm the, You're the slaughterer. I'm, you are I'm the con. You I'm work the, in the abattoir. I'm the con. Karn, uh, you know, I, I expect him to get picked, and I'm really just curious about why. Uh, aside from the fact that Joe has his favourites, and you know, he goes to the same guys, which is probably as as all coaches much a reason yeah. than, than anything else. You know, than all the other reasons put together. Um, is I guess that he's he's always managed to. Or sorry, he's so often managed to pull out big performances and big matches. As you say, he's he's won an awful lot of trophies uh, from going back to pretty a league for Leinster back in what was that was that oh eight oh eight oh seven oh eight oh seven oh eight yeah it was oh eight and then a Heineken Cup the following year and then he's he's had three more Heineken Cup. Oh, did he start? Well, he missed one. He had, he had he had ten eleven. Was Issa was the fullback. Because Kearney, if you can would recall, he got injured in November international. Yeah. But he played in twelve, and he played last. Yeah, he won European Player of the Year in twelve. Yeah, I won European Player of the Year. So and and he's won two Grand Slams. He's one. He's one of the few, along with Bestie. Bestie, yeah. Uh, to win, to win two. Um, and as you said, not numerous coaches have picked him. And as we've seen from Larmer playing fullback recently, it's. It's not as easy as it looks, particularly that Ireland play 14 up with Farrell as the defence coach and that Rob Carney's positioning is so good. His communication must be very good. I'm assuming this because... Uh, yeah, it's something you that you... You can't hear him. Yeah, he's uh, not... It's unless not, you're playing. He's not, uh, he's not wearing a mic on the field. Uh, so you don't get the chance to see him in Donnybrook where you're close to the pitch and there's... Like he doesn't play for the A's, so you're not in a stand with 300 people where you can hear what the fullback is actually saying to his wingers. But I think there's an awful lot in terms of how he controls the back three. I remember just in terms of telling them where they should be to help him and helping him helps the team. I think there's an awful lot of taking care of, of uh, communication amongst that, that back three in terms of whether they need to be in the line or whether the, he's seeing that there's a kick and is already moving one player back to cover. Um, positioning, you know, in terms of the, the lateral axis on the field. I remember there was a very telling sentence in a Gervin Dempsey interview where he said he wanted to start and maintain his position in line with the ball on the vertical axis of the field. That would always give him, that would always mean he'd started off in a good position. There's more to it than that. Um, and then uh, you also have this uh, outstandingly good, consistent ability under the high ball, which 
when you consider how Munster sort of tortured Exeter in the first half of the recent Heineken Cup game, like Rob Kearney just isn't rattled under the eyeball ever. And it gives that solidity, that goalkeeper solidity at the back. And it sort of takes that element, it takes that contestable element of the game away from most other teams unless they're packing a spare easy fillet. I wonder, um, and this is a question though, born out of my lack of attention to the details of other teams, but Leinster play with the scrum half sweeping back usually, or someone else, but yeah. usually the scrum half sweeping back. Um, how do uh, Munster and Ulster and Connacht play in that respect? Does anyone else play with the just that one man behind the line? That's a good question. Edit this out. We want to appear totally <laughs> omnipotent. <laughs> <laughs> you might have prepared that one, but it is. Uh, no, I, it's just something I thought of, uh, kind of on the on the spot there. But I've th- I've, I've thought of it before uh, watching Leinster games, where in the stadium where it's, I've seen players give out. I've seen Rob Carney give out to people for Adam Bird <laughs> being in the wrong place. Um, yeah, no. In game in, in game situations, and I've seen Rossburn give out to people in game situations for if he's put up a kick and run, and then there's not someone else. One of the big features of Anthony Foley's game when when he was in his pomp for Munster as a player was that he frequently dropped back into on one side of the pitch, and, left hand side. Yeah, and and was this sort of covered a half of the pitch as a uh, kick receiver. And in Billy Vunapola's best season for England, which was 2016 Six Nations, Billy Vunapola would frequently be in backfield. And I remember games in that competition where he got his hands on the ball like four and five times returning kicks with a run-up. And it was, you know, the good sort of car crash TV. It was like you're watching this guy handle the ball really well he, he plays like it's a size four he's so big you know gets the ball gets a run up and he can step so um you know i haven't seen carberry in the backfield much for munster this season um and then i to be honest i just haven't seen enough kind of games well, that's a very good question. I suppose traditionally teams would play 12 up and then drop three in some sort of pendulum or would have three in a pendulum and, and the, the third guy might be in the lines. He'd be the 13 up and two back. Leinster drops Sexton back a lot and play Kearney and then it's just a matter of like what side of the pitch do you cover? Where's the ball? Which Who, who should push up in that pendulum? Who should drop back? Uh, what sort of kicking options do you have? What sort of chasing options do you have? Like New Zealand are so good in the counter-attack. Um, really good with Ben Smith. Um, and, you know, where, I guess, where do you look to where do you look to attack from where the opposition is, has kicked it? Talking about the vertical axis, I remember there was a documentary with Ronan Agar, and, like, it talked about all sorts of the facets of his life. It was when he was in Paris, and, you know, they were in his kitchen, and he was driving around Cork, and there was there was a snippet, though, of him training, and um, he was coaching uh, Sexton, who was playing there at the time, and you could sort of hear over them, he was telling Sexton to look at where the post was and where the fullback was, that after a number of phases, if the fullback had got too far away, a certain, you know, a certain direction... You know, if the ball was going a certain direction and the fullback was, you know, too far away from the post, if you kicked it back that direction, there was no way he was going to get it. Or similarly, if you kicked it across that way, there was no way he was going to get it. So, Algarra was always looking at this because I was always curious and I could never really figure out how Raj managed to find so much space. Now, part of it was because his his kicking out of hand, his actual ability to land where he wanted was non-pareil and... Part of it was because he kept on thinking about it and he kept looking and he was so aware of what he was trying to do. And I think that um, Carney must make that difficult for the opposition fullback. Um, and I think that's part of the when you have a guy who has always played fullback, you know, from underage and he's not a slashy winger slash fullback. 
you know, who's mostly picked for his attacking abilities, counter-attacking especially abilities. Um, I think that that I'm I'm a real firm believer in that fullback is a separate position than the back three. You know, it's part of the back three in the same way that scrum half and out half are halfbacks, but they're really distinct positions. A fullback is it's not a third winger. No, no, definitely not. I so the so who who's your alternative if if Carney's not playing? I contend that if Warren Gatland was picking the Irish team, he'd play Robbie Henshaw at fullback and he'd pick Aki and Gary Ringrose in the centre and it'd be his way of getting the three of them on the pitch at the same time and it would be I, I just think it's in keeping with what Gatlin does it's like picking Reese Priestland at number 10 yeah. starting like two World Cup warm-up matches and then bring them to the semi-final where they lose at 14 men that if he, he wants to get his best players on the pitch and he trusts his gut away he goes with it I think that's a really interesting point. I'd, I'd say um, I I hadn't even considered it because Henshaw hasn't played fifteen at all this season or last season. He played. He played. He did play fifteen for. He went back to fifteen in one of the Leinster matches, one of the Pro Fourteen Leinster matches. Oh, okay, um, for half an hour. And and I was I was thinking that it would be. Um, you know, if you were going in another direction, that you'd go to Andrew Conway. But then you said, "What about Will Addison?" Is that what I said? Yeah. What yes. about Will Addison? What about Will Addison? Will Addison has played more centre for Ulster this year than fullback because since Louis Ludic's come back from injury, Ludic's played fullback. I played it very well, but Addison, Addison's in great form. And I suppose maybe there's a bit of it with Rob Kearney that's jaded. And we're sort of listening at all the things that Rob Kearney's very good at. Excuse me, but he was shocking against Clenethley. Like all the worst bits of Rob Kearney, the fact that he holds so little attack and threat anymore, the fact that his his stand up tackling is atrocious now, like his one on one tackling, like he's easily exploitable. So when Teddy Thomas did him last year against France, you, you kind of accepted that Teddy Thomas is like just a superbly balanced athlete. He's a flying machine. He's, he's the quickest in the Six Nations, um, and it can happen to a bishop. But like when the Scarlets open side does it, oh, ugly. No, and he didn't look. even didn't even get a hand on him. So Addison was a really an interesting call because he did play uh, one of the November internationals at fullback, and I thought he did pretty well. Um, he's got a long history of playing um, in in you know in three positions. He played for like in the fifteen sixteen season for Sale. I think he played every game on the wing. He's played a lot of fullback for sale. Um, and now he's playing mostly outside centre or second centre for Ulster, which maybe then you're looking at him as your number 23, your outside back cover in in your match day 23 for the first game. Maybe ahead of Andrew Conway. Conway's injured, I think. Well, he's. I think he resumed... He resumed training, did he? Training okay. today, yeah. Yeah, all right. Um, yeah, so then you'd you'd have uh, you'd have Carberry on the bench who can also play at fullback. Oh, um, in a match that you're not, you don't want to take Sexton off in. Yeah. Um, and you sort of you, you have you don't have anybody that can cover the wings or really add you any try scoring pop. Whereas if you have Conway on the bench, then you've got somebody who can cover the back three. And you've got now the other thing is like who do you pick in the center? Because if you pick, um, if you pick Bundy and uh, if you pick Bundy and Ringrose, then you've got uh, well you've got Robbie Henshaw on the bench. Which, if if you decide yeah. not to pick Carney, so and you've then got if, Henshaw and you've got Joey Carberry, you still don't really have any cover on the wings, um, but. Alternatively, if you pick Robbie Henshaw, can you pick Bundy? 
on the bench? Well, that's a that's a, a good question. That's a really good question. Like Bundy is probably the best. If in that situation, Bundy Bundy is the best available back, but he's a twelve or thirteen and not a, a winger or a fullback. Yeah, so you, you have no move, back to recover. Would you give him a venture to to fullback? To fullback. So, I don't see Joe omitting Henshaw from the starting 15, but the potential for having Aki, Ringrose, and maybe... Like Joe did play Henshaw at 12 out of the blue when he never played 12 before for Connacht. You played him in international against, I think it was South Africa. South Africa, I think it was, yeah. Um, I, I don't see him changing at this stage, but I am reminded of uh, Graham Henry dropping Mills Muller in a mid-tournament to, to pick Israel Dagg in the 2011 World Cup. Well, I think, I think when you look at the midfield and you go, he's going to drop, I think he's going to pick Gary Ringrose. So yeah, I agree. He's going to drop, but it, it doesn't matter. He's going to drop one of the three centres and there's an argument to say, at the expense, they're going to be dropped for Rob Carney. Because you can, you can squeeze Henshaw in and take a bit of a chance. He's not going to drop Earls or Stockdale. He's not going to drop Sexton or Murray. So the, the extremities of the back line are, are set in stone. And mm. the moving parts are the two centres and the fullback. And one of your centres made his debut at fullback and played his first full season, if not his first two full seasons, of professional rugby at fullback and your incumbent fullback is in well he's injured and he's in poor form on the display of one match but he has as we've said he has a tremendous track record I don't see <coughs> Joe ever going with that uh, three centres in the squad thing with Aki Henshaw and Ringrose all uh, with one of them on the bench it just doesn't, doesn't happen in my eyes I think he's He's far too uh, pragmatic in terms of he wouldn't be want to be caught short with injuries. Putting, putting someone ending up with putting Henshaw on the wing or Ringrose on the wing, I don't think it happens. So then, do you think if he's got Carberry covering ten and fifteen, who does he who does he pick? That's Addison. Right. It has to be Addison, doesn't it? It has to be Addison to play centre, fullback, or winger. Or Larmer. So Larmer came on. Where did Larmer come on? Which game? Against England in Twickenham last season. Did second he come on second centre? Center? He, yeah. he did come on a second centre, yeah. So, so uh, does, he, does he go... That gives you a very small subspench. Yeah. It's a, of course, <laughs> <laughs> like Keenan Blay, Joey Carberry and Larmer. He's got no pop. He's got no physicality, and he's got obviously he's got pop, but he's yeah. got no physicality in that teeny Smurf sub bench. I was about to call them Oompa Loompas, but maybe they are Smurfs. So the bench doesn't pick itself. That's the the bench doesn't pick itself. The bench is really interesting. Um, and who do you, sorry? Who do you think will be sub scrum half? Keelan Blade. I think he's the only one fit, isn't he? Isn't Cooney fit? Oh, Cooney will be sub scrum half. Cooney is very interesting to talk about. Because well, if you pick Cooney, you can drop Joey Carby altogether. <laughs> and pick Bundiaki. Interesting. It goes against the entire That's clearly not going to happen, but it is an interesting point. Goes against the entire thesis. All right, I'll pick, I'm moving Joey Carby down to Munster so we can play more 10 and you can't pick him. But it is... Uh, Interesting or I, I, I like Cooney as to sub scrum half in general. I think he's probably, you know, going on the evidence of summer, November internationals, he's probably fourth choice. I think, that, and Marmion beat the All Blacks. I'm not going to write off Kieran Marmion or forget about him. Uh, but Cooney does give you, I think he's the most similar to Conor Murray. I think he has a lot of sang froid. And also, he has that really good goal-kicking record. You know, I think further down the line, it's a conversation we'll have in the future post-Six Nations about selecting a World Cup squad. 
Um, but I think Cooney has. I think Cooney's going to get a chance against uh, on on the bench against England, and uh, I hope he does really well. Um, I think Likewise. his his similarity to uh, Conor Murray might be uh, he might be like a the guy who replaces him to start. What do you mean by that? As in, if Murray was injured, you might draft Cooney in immediately and play him there, but he mightn't get a place on the bench because you okay. might want to bring but on... When, when all this come out of their fit. Yeah, you might want to have Kieran Marmion as your... But we saw that recently and he picked Marmion. Yeah. So, the, the I suppose what really stood out for me about Marmion is just how tough he is. Teak tough. Um... He played a match a number of years ago. He played an A game when Sean O'Brien was coming back from one of his various injuries. Yeah, probably three years ago. Hendo played again. It was down. It was was it in Musgrave or was it in Thomond? And it was sort of the weekend before. Ian Henderson was superb, and everyone else was kind of you know not great. And Marmion stank, and (laughs) he. And you sort of gone, oh man, like you know, can't pick this guy. And it, it, um, I think it's to his credit that he just managed to put that behind him. And I think it's to Connacht's credit, credit as well, because um, they had a really good season. The Marmion was a big part of that. They obviously won the the league, and I guess he got a lot of confidence out of that. But I mean, the guy's as tough as old boots. Mm. Um, and I think Schmidt Schmidt really seems to value that. Luke McGrath's tough as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so does that mean Cooney's not tough? Well, it might mean he's not tough as Marmion or Luke McGrath. Um, I'm just surprised that Cooney didn't get more of an opportunity in Australia. Me too. I think there's actually a couple more questions about the bench. If we all assume that... Um, Best Leinster props, Leinster second rows, and the uh, two Munster back rows, and presumably uh, Josh Vanderfleer at seven. But the questions are which one of the Connacht second rows appears on the bench, which maybe Jack McGrath's place is up for is is under threat from David Kilcoyne. There's a lot of question marks on the bench. Yeah, there are. It's the first fifteen. I mean, this is all to be expected, I think, but. Um, because injuries and the size of the squad and there's more competition. But do you have any other thoughts on like who be on the bench in the pack? Well, I, I had a brief review of um, Leinster's back rows this, this season and how much they've played. And interesting, Sean O'Brien hasn't played a game starting at seven at all for Leinster. And that's his nominal position these days. Uh, he's had a couple of starts, number eight. He's had a couple of starts. No, he's had one start, number eight, and a couple of starts at number six. Um, whereas Josh van der Fleer has been the first choice Leicester 7. I think Sean O'Brien's position, best position for for this season is as the uh, number 20 sub-back row because he gives you both pop. Uh, there's a fear factor when he comes on for opposition teams, like if they can afford to leave Sean O'Brien out of the starting lineup. And then he has also had international experience and serious international experience like being outstanding at six and seven and he's played number I think one man the match when he played number eight against Italy in a game where he replaced Jamie he's up at short notice uh, so that he's an outstanding six seven eight um, replacement I, I don't see how you can pick him to start at seven he hasn't played he just hasn't played at, at seven in you know since the Lions yeah, like in in real rugby, like he's played a couple well, of he games. Played, he played he played last year against Exeter, Exeter so he yeah. has played, but he, he hasn't finished many of those matches. Yeah, um, and then second row is another good question. Obviously, Ulton Delan was originally picked in the squad, and Quinn Rue was originally left out. But Joe Schmidt has over the last two seasons has always preferred Rue to Delan. Rue gives you scrummaging heft like few others in Ireland. In my opinion, Delan is not a good scrummager. He'd be the weakest of all the uh, second rows in terms of scrummaging. But Delan, as has been shown before at Six Nations level, can give you great carrying pop. 
so that's a, that's a good question. Nobody thought that either of those guys will be in this conversation, but injuries to Henderson and Byrne have, have allowed them. I, I, I'd go for Delan 10 out of 10 if I was picking it. Um, I think again, you, you know, I see Schmidt's history and how much he follow, uh, values that sort of set piece solidity and uh, I don't know, like a bit of a sort of a spreadsheety listy type of thing. Like Delan gives you energy, comes off bench, makes a load of tackles, like runs through guys, like runs around, gets the crowd excited. Crowd like Quinn absolutely Roo. loves him. Huge Quinn Roo. Yeah, Great huge. to be here, right back in Dublin. <laughs> huge pop in uh, Quinn Roo doesn't do that for you. Kunru, like I mean, and the thing is, neither of them have ever started big matches for Schmidt. Um Delan has history of coming on against England and running over Joe Launchbury and you know, like you get stuck in and you make tackles and I'd always go for that. Mm-hmm. And then Killer has had a much better season than Jack McGrath. Like unquestionably. But um if the English tight head mentions Brexit to him though, he might lose his discipline. He so. loses shit. Uh, but the other thing about Killer is uh, he hasn't started a Six Nations game or, or been involved in the Six Nations, uh, I think, in five years. I think since Declan Kidney was in charge. And there's certain things which, um, when he played in, in November, there was a couple of incidences where you see him just making mistakes in open play, getting in front of a ball carrier so that he's neither... Uh, available option to pass to or nor can he actually join the join the ensuing rook legally or a latch on or a sort of a decoy that you give any credibility to yeah so he there's and that this is not based on jamie he's commentary this is stuff you can actually see when you don't have to follow what's been shown on tv when you're in the when you're in the stand you can choose who you can look at you, you can focus on what players do off the ball and and i don't think that he, um, I think he sort of, the, the American football phrase is his botch assignments, and I think he does that a little bit too frequently for Joe Schmidt's liking. Uh, Killer also doesn't pass ever, but he's a, like, he is another pop machine in terms of ball carrying. Yeah, and Jack's like the worst ball carrier in the 23 by quite a distance. Well, Bestie is easily the worst, actually. Yeah, Bestie, say, yeah, though, is an offload machine, as we saw. Yeah, see, I think Bestie gives you that playmaking ability. Um, again, I'd be, I'd be sort of tempted to go for uh, over the course of their careers. Jack McGrath is a better player than David Kilcoyne, and where both at the same level of their own form, I would always pick McGrath. But Jack McGrath isn't having a great season. A killer is having. Like Munster scrum is really strong, has yeah. been strong since the end of last season. And again, I think you do well to reward guys who are in form because it brings, a, it just brings that enthusiasm and a sort of a sense of fairness and a bit of hunger to the squad that it isn't just the same old faces. And I think it's sort of important because Ireland are in the unusual position of having it, of the only way it's down for us, of being justifiably the favourites. Like, Ireland are nine-point favourites against England. And England are pretty full strength. England have loads of deadly players. Have really good players, but I just think Ireland are so hard to beat. Now, I don't think that means they're going to win by nine points or more, but, uh, like, justifiably, Ireland are favourites. They're playing at home, and they just beat New Zealand there the last time, and just are a really, really difficult team to beat. And... Like have a load of experience, whereas England have a load of guys who are like they've they've quite a lot of experience, but then in other areas they're just they're they're callow. Yeah, like if you look at their, I just go going back to uh, briefly. Sorry, back to Kilcoin. One of the things is England have dropped down Colts. So their starting tides are Sinclair will most likely start, and then that big fella from Exeter. What's his name? Williams. Harry Williams. Harry Williams. So Williams obviously scrummaged uh, against Kilcoyne very recently, like a week and a half ago. And uh, and I don't think Sinclair holds any fear for Kilcoyne as a scrummager. So that's another vote in, in Kilcoyne's favour as far as I'm concerned. Um, and when you look at that English side, they do, like, there's, like, they've loads of good players, firstly. 
but there are positions where, like I look at seven with no underhill, and <clears throat> I think Tom Curry, as we've, we've talked about him briefly before in, in sort of last season's podcast, that he's a guy who has, you know, that he's going to be a, a test match player for quite a long time at open side, and he's a proper open side. But he hasn't been that impressive this season. Um, six is interesting for them. Brad Shields never been dropped. I'm not a big Brad Shields fan. Rob Shaw's missing. So I don't actually know who they're going to field at six. Well, I can see them picking Courtney Laws, or I can see them picking Maro Otoje. So they're going to pick a second row at six, and immediately you're going, ah, that balances a bit out because like your open side is 20, and yeah. he's got five caps. Or else you pick Shields, who's a blind side, he's got four caps. You're picking two guys. I think, I think Shields is out now. Officially. Shields is yeah. definitely out. I think he's been left out as of late on today. Okay, and I know that Laws was talking to the paper, so I can see him pick like Otoje plus, I don't know, either Cruz or Launchbury. In, in second row and then Laws at number six but then you go uh, Laws like neither of them are like they're both second rows who can yeah. play six they're not they're not sixes and you're playing as we said you're playing Curry so I just think the balance is a bit out you, you've got Billy Vinopolo who makes all their team better and then you've got like Genj and not Genj uh, Sinclair and Jamie George um, who haven't got that many starts. Yeah. As like they've they're sort of George George is a George is a lot of caps. Um and England and, England England have like England always have pretty good players, but I think this is this is long been an issue. This has been an issue for England since two thousand and three is that they've always had pretty good players without having really good players. And I think they do have some really good players. Like I think Billy Vunapola and Billy Farrell, Farrell, Itoje, Itoje, yeah, yeah. You know that's really good. Yeah, I also, I am the possibly the one Irishman who is a fan of of Chris Ashton. Uh, not no, not I, I, not not a fan like who's just an un, unblinking fan. Like as I've said before, if he didn't do the Swan Dive. Everyone in rugby would just look at him like Vincent Clark. Like, this guy's an amazing finisher. Whereas most people look at Ash and go, this guy's a total knob. Well, here's the thing about England's experience. So England's most experienced players, start-wise, are the the two halfbacks. And Ben, ben Young's by a distance has the most. Like, Ben Young's is 82 caps. 82? Yeah, 63 starts. What nine, age is he? 19. He's only 29. Wow. And Owen Farrell's 27. He's got 59 starts, 10 subs. That's pretty Lions matches. But like all test matches, right? So they're the two most experienced guys by a distance. The next two most experienced guys Macho. in terms of caps, in terms of starts, right? So Mako's got 57 caps, but 30 of them are off the bench. In terms of starts, uh, Johnny May and Chris Ashton with 39 and 40. What about uh, Mike uh, Brown? I don't have Mike Brown on my team. Do you so not? Mike Brown has... Well, I, I presume they're going to pick Daly at 15. Okay. And they're going to pick May and Ashton. So, sorry, Mike Brown has more caps than that. Like, Mike Brown's... Mike you, Brown's 33. You don't think he's You don't think he's going to be there? So I haven't picked Jack Noel here either. I think he's going to go with May and Ashton on the wings. I think he's going to pick Daly at fullback. And I think he's going to have Jack Noel on the bench. Now, yeah. I don't know if I really agree or, with that. Or at open I would, side. I would start Noel somewhere. But I just think, based on the teams that he's picked, this is my thing, though, England. This is, this is kind of like the, the team that I've the team that I've picked. So I've gone McAvin, Apollo, George, Sinclair, Toje, Cruz. Uh, I've gone with Shields. I should have laws. I didn't realize Shields injured. Curry... Billy Vinopolo, Ben Youngs, Farrell, Johnny May, Ben Teo, Slade, Ashton, Teo's gone. Teo's gone as well? Yeah. yeah. All right, well, I shouldn't have picked my team a few days ago. So. <laughs> <laughs> Tua Laggy's going to start. So Tua Laggy's going to start. Okay, yeah, so he's he's probably more experienced then. Um, he's barely played any games. He missed 50 in a row. He did play a lot he when he was young. a lot when he was younger, yeah. Okay. Well, I haven't done my research in two like he's been out. He's he's been out for a long time, so yeah, he probably isn't that experienced. I suppose he's been around for a long time without having that much experience. I 
you see so many of these England, like you see so many with England's, like you got no, you could have a back three with Noel and Watson. You could have like two Alagi in a centre, apart from the team that I've picked. Like they've they've loads of really good players. Uh, sorry, they've loads of pretty good players. And just getting the team right and getting the balance right always seems to be a bit of a struggle for them. Um, so he's going to put, what, Tulagi and Slade? Well, the last, I, I read an article, and I, I actually can't remember where I read it, because I read it when I was eating, and I was really hungry. But it suggested that they would play Tulagi at 13 and go back to Ford and Farrell. Now, that could be completely unfounded. And I think it probably is unfounded. But it's difficult to know with Jones. I think there's a potential that he could play with Farrell, Slade and Tuolagi. I'd expect him to play that. Mm. Based on what he played over the autumn time. Yeah, because I think if you have three very quick back three players, it's you have a daily fullback and the two home run hitters on the wing... You do want to get them the ball, so you need passing. So you would shy away from picking Tuolagi in the 12 position and you pick a distributor, a second distributor, whether that is um, Andy Farrell play, or Owen Farrell playing 12 or Henry Slade playing 12 is a good question. 27 caps, man, Tuolagi. 27. Okay. And one for the Ultimately, England got a lot of firepower in that back line, but it's never played together in the combination with Manny Tuolagi. Uh, and there's there's still lingering doubts over their performances in the, in the autumn. They should have been beaten by South Africa. They had a very good chance of beating New Zealand. They didn't. And <clears throat> uh, your man was offside as well. Well, even though it was tight. Uh, and uh, they were made to look very sheepish against Japan for half an hour until they brought on the lattice deal. So there's there's still loads of question marks over them. Mm. Um, but it is a fairly... There's a, there's a lot of very fearsome names that, you know, you just be like, oh, they could score from miles out. You know, yeah. one Bosch through from Funapola and a trail from Chris Ashton, and you can be conceding a try from 40 yards. And the other thing is, uh, you know, it could be a horrible day, but penalties 55 metres out, Elliot Daly can kick them. So, like, they're a really dangerous team to play against. Yeah, they're all very good points. Eddie Jones always sounds like he's gunning for us, but he must really be sick of Joe Schmidt being a better coach. Scammy Irish. (laughs) And his mate going, ooh, boring Irish. <laughs> Just because we're not psychotic doesn't mean we're boring, Mitchell. <laughs> Let's talk one more thing about Ireland. It's something you uh, mentioned earlier on, but I want to uh, pick back up on. Um, my, my, I have the same contention as you that the only way is down um, and that uh, people are so obsessed with the uh, quarterfinal hoodoo um, that if we lose a game in this Six Nations, and given that our first two games are England and France, um, it'll be, oh, well, we're not so great anymore. And if we win a second Grand Slam in a row, everyone will just be more and more freaked out that we're going to lose the quarterfinal. Yeah, I remember when we lost against Wales uh, in a Six Nations in 2017, maybe. The one we watched in McCluskey's. People totally lost their shit with Joe Schmidt after that. Friday evening. Yeah, do you remember? I was, I was at that, yeah. Um, and the people went, like, suddenly Everett, Joe Schmidt was a terrible coach again, and Ireland were boring, we didn't know how to score tries, and it was a massive, massive overreaction. And it's one of the issues, well, one of, it's a salient feature of picking your best team all the time in the Six Nations rather than you know some people say oh we need to blood Carberry and more than the game against Italy and you're going no we just need to win all our matches in the Six Nations you know do as well as we can 
maintain momentum as much as we can. Uh, would certainly that would be my 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 thought on it. I don't see a willful changing of the team in order to expose more players. I think you just when England won the the World Cup in two thousand and three. Just won so many games in the build up to that. Just went out to win, to win, to win, to win, to win. And I think that's what I'm doing. I'm, you know, when when the last time that we won a Grand Slam and we were going into 2010 with a very similar team, and I remember thinking at the time, you know, there's there's a good chance we can go back to back because we'd had that really successful year all the way through. We went unbeaten we had a draw against Australia but we beat the world champion Springboks and we went into 2010 looking pretty good and then France absolutely plowed us in Paris Bastro had a field day but he wasn't the only one Jerry Flannery tried to kick some French lad up in the air Um, but all of a sudden you realize that Six Nations is a really difficult tournament to win. And the Six Nations has its own place in the year where there isn't much else on. Um, so again, you know, we talked about this off mic and we talked about the idea that there's, there's probably pockets of people that are frustrated or fed up or just plain disagree with Neil Francis' assertion in particular that rugby is the people's game. And, like, you know, I, I think Frano is, was his agent provocateur? Is, is that the most appropriate word for him? Yeah, I think that's Praise fair, yeah. for him. Um, you know, and he's, he's got a column to write every week. And by and large, I personally, I enjoy Frano's ability to write on a, on a, on a weekly basis. It's, uh, it's pretty tough. I think that... Um, He's he's pretty managed to reinvent himself uh, from what his initial sort of journalistic forays were when he was still close to the dressing room yeah. to the point where he's not close to the dressing room and he doesn't talk about his um, you know he gives anecdotes from his own playing days and off the pitch sort of capers and all that sort of stuff but you know he doesn't he doesn't have a direct line into the so and he wasn't the first to float that it was it was it was Darrow Breen but certainly I think rugby for February and March is Ireland's game because well, that's. That's, yeah, that's a really fair thing to say. You know, there's not, not like the championship hasn't got going. Um, there's no big sort of qualifiers, and even like the football team is like the football team is poor. Um, but you're not talking about any big tournaments, so yeah, I think it is, and you know, so everyone gets involved and everyone wants to like enjoy it. Uh, but you enjoy it much more when you win. So I think stuff gets kind of febrile when you lose. And, uh, oh, yeah, like it's tense, but it's great. It's so exciting. Yeah. Saint-Andre going in like a wildcat. Have to give credit to the forwards. Referee blows for halftime. Did a big highlight of the first weekend of the Six Nations uh, I, I've I've been guilty of overlooking it um, just because of the size of the Ireland-England match. But on Friday night, uh, Wales take on France. And that's generally been a mouth-watering affair, especially on Friday nights. Um, there's a lot of unknown players. Well, not unknown, but like players who are, I'm unfamiliar with in the in the French line, setup. Um, Demba Bamba is a second division player who's getting loads of hype as one to watch for the tournament. He's I don't only, know anything about the Pro D2. Yeah. Uh, Julien Marchand, Félix Lambay, Pierre Bougari, Dorian Alderheri, Gregory Aldrit, who just has like a, he, he just has a, an avatar, which is a cartoon character on this website, uh, and Danny Priesto. Like so what are, where are the French coming from? They are coming from defeat against Fiji. They're coming from a, a Defeated against Fiji and three pretty exciting games against the All Blacks uh, in in the summer. Um, I, Which seems a year ago. It seems a long time ago. Uh, I was impressed with France in last year's Six Nations, especially with their work rate, uh, which I thought they were the fittest French team I'd ever seen. The game... Our first game of the Six Nations, the Epic, 
Johnny Sexton drop goal. I, I couldn't remember a French team competing so hard and so effectively at the breakdown for such a long period of the game. I thought when he was uh, announced as head coach... Um, Jacques Brunel. Yeah, I, I thought that was... I thought that when Jacques Brunel was announced as head coach that it was a quite a dreadful decision. Um but then I was I was you know impressed by France and I thought they were moving in the right direction all through that tournament. As I said in a, a couple of podcasts ago, the reaction of their against their loss to Fiji at home was was outrage amongst French rugby, absolute outrage. So he's has this he has not a rebuilding job to do when he had previously sort of started to rebuild. It seems to have all been knocked down in one performance. Um, the strength of the French league is they have, you know, they have the, the thirty professional teams. The Prodi does entirely professional. Mm-hmm. Um, there's loads of people playing. There's a lot of foreigners playing in the league as well. Not as many as there has been in the past. But you see these guys coming in. A lot of those names, the players that you named there, a lot of La Rochelle forwards. Um, and you know, there's always players turning up in France, and the nature of the French, as we have said before about the English, is they have this big, strong league, and there's a lot of competition in it. A lot of the French internationals tend to be to come into the team later in respect of their careers than Irish internationals do, because they have they might start playing for a federale one or two team, then get go up a league, you know, relatively early in their careers to Pro D or and then and then get a transfer to uh, a top fourteen team. Or promoted. Or know. promoted. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But there's a there's always a lot of movement in French rugby between clubs. Um so you know they they tend to turn up with players who you know we may not be entirely familiar with through European rugby. But there's a lot of there's a lot of quality uh, in that French side. A lot of quality backs as well. I think while there's a, there's there's unfamiliar names in the forwards, I think when you run through the list of the backs that they have, including after uh, a season's absence, Wesley Fofana back. You know, like the names they really do roll off the tongue. Fiku Fofana, Bastero, Johan Huchet. Maydard, the two kids, Antimac and Pano, Morgan Parra, Baptiste Saran, and, and Antoine Dupont, three outstandingly good scrum halves. So, um, I think you have a good take on the on the Welsh, and I know you're quite a, a Gatlin fan. It'd be interesting to hear what, what you think that one's going to be like. Wales uh, by stealth have put together a good run and you can sort of ask who they've played so while France were going down to New Zealand to play three test matches which is pretty much three guarantee losses uh, Wales were playing an Argentinian team who wanted to get rid of their coach but what it's meant is that Wales are on a, a nine match winning streak including two wins against South Africa one of them was in Washington which is odd Uh and it's curious, given Wales' celebrated history, but the, the longest winning streak in Welsh rugby history is 11. I looked it up because hmm. I was conscious that they've, they'd, they're on a good one at the moment. So I thought that the 2016 Six Nations was the one that the Welsh were going to and should have won. I thought that it was after 2015. I thought that at that stage, Gaddy had had his his team together, his Welsh team together, um, for pretty much five years, and that they had quality all the way through, really good combinations. They had Warburton, they had Alan Wynne-Jones, they had Toby Falatow, they had Johnny Davis, and they had... Uh, George North. George North, but the, uh, the other guy uh, gets him over the game line, the big doctor. Jamie Roberts. Jamie Roberts. Um, and it didn't work for them. And I thought, ah, oh, well, that's that's Wales gone. Should have won that. But they are very competitive. And 
unlike France and England, who have so many players to choose from and kind of as a consequence have, have quite a callow looking team at times. I mean, the England things have a bucket of caps. Some of the French guys have absolutely no caps. Mm. And for as much form as they're in, they're, they're never really allowed get up uh, a streak of form. It's kind of one of the reasons I think that Johan Maishu just keeps on getting picked. Like, obviously, he's good and, and the guys like him, but you need to have some sort of form of proven ability to play international rugby. The Welsh have a load of caps, and this is without Toby Falatau playing. This is without Lee Halfpenny playing. Like Again, the, the team that I'm looking at has 541 starts. Uh, and like Alan Wynne Jones is 117 of those, but like Gaddy's good at getting a lot of experience onto the pitch because Wales play a lot of international matches, like they play matches outside the window, they go on tours, like three and four match tours during the summertime, and like to you know, like Argentina and Japan, like similar enough to Ireland, they squeeze those matches in against South Africa. Gaddy sort like Gaddy is. I think he's really good at picking a team. Mm. I think he's really good at kind of identifying guys and giving them enough matches and you know kind of keeping guys interested, but also at jettisoning fellas. And um, he's Wales going to be. It's 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 a really really interesting match because. Wales sort of have a team of no stars. Well, who who would in your team do you uh, talked about there briefly? Who would you select? I think he's going to go with Owen, uh, Ken Owens in hooker. Uh, I think he's going to go with Smith and Francis at props. Okay. I think he's going to go with Alan Jones and Beard, just based on who he picked during the autumn time at second row. You think Beard is going to get in there? I think Gatlin's going to pick him, and then I think he's going to go with Lydia Tipperick and Moriarty. And Moriarty hasn't played much rugby since um, he got concussed against South Africa. That's a self-effacing background. <laughs> and you, you go, it's it's got a better balance to it than England's back row does. So England England's team, to my mind, has better players in it. Yeah. But Wales have got like a proper six playing at six, a proper open side playing at open side. And like he's a very much a top of the ground running connecting open side. And you got Ross Moriarty, who I think is a better six than eight. I would play Falatau, but like Moriarty gives you. Yeah. Moriarty's a, very, he's a good back row player. Falatau's got the broken arm, of course. And Falatau's got a broken arm, so, he, so he's not going to play. So like it's the team of good balance. I think he's going to pick Davis and Anscombe. I don't think he's going to pick. I don't oh, think do he's you? gonna pick bigger. I just again like he picked Anscombe in the two big matches during the autumn time. Okay. Um and Anscombe's Anscombe's playing well for Cardiff. Mm. And Cardiff are going well for Cardiff, if I can say that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In 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 the league. He'll pick Parks and Davies, he'll pick North Williams, and I think he'll pick Adams, you know. So Gaddy's good at giving guys at, at throwing in a few fellas with not that many caps in among a hardcore like of, of experienced guys. Uh, he likes Liam Williams. Like you go to Liam Williams, half pennies out with concussion mm. again. Adams. George North, yeah, um, who's got six starts. When did he pick those up? Twenty-three. Yeah. Well, he, he again. He's he's picked them up. He's picked all of them up pretty recently. He played. Uh, he played against Australia and South Africa. Okay. So he's and the man of possession. Well, he's the man of possession, and he played two matches at fullback. Uh, I'm sorry, he played two matches in the wing against uh, Argentina. Okay, during the summertime. So he's he's a form guy. Um, and Wales, man, like hard to beat, hard to beat. Yeah. Here you've got a you've. It's an interesting. Like I think it's a sort of a clash of styles in that you've got a French team with a bucket of talent and seemingly a lot of potential and it's going to be a very different team to and loads of resources time. loads yep. of resources against the welsh team that like none of the regions are going particularly well even half well even half well but you pick a well-balanced team you pick guys in the right positions you pick guys who are proven international caliber players and they'll know what they're doing mm. um and we took you know the Six Nations, you can repeat so many of the cliches, like big, big momentum match. Um, and Gatland as well. A lot of confidence, yeah. Is 
so experienced as a Six Nations coach. He must be the most experienced Six Nations coach ever in terms of six rather than five nations. But even including the five nations, I can't recall a coach who'd been in situ for so long. Jim Telfer came and went with the Scots and was around, but no, I think it, I think it has yeah. to be Gatlin for was maybe, 10 you know, seasons. Yeah, Gatlin has come and gone in terms of he's had to take Ireland. a sabbatical for, yeah. for and Lions he's gone off things. the Lions, yeah. But it, he, he's still sort of in situ to a greater, or a le- well, to a lesser extent. But he's, Gallen is such a tricky coach to, well, he's, he's a really good coach. I think first, he's just really good. Uh, and he's a tricky coach to have to play against. Uh, and especially looking f- right to the end of the tournament for Ireland. When Ireland travelled to Wales for the last game. Like, that is going to be a really interesting game. I, I think that... Um, I would, I would, I think you're right. I think I'd probably fancy Wales for this, uh, for this match against France. It's in Paris, but that hasn't really stopped them before. No, they played one absolutely turgid game before. Do you remember the one where George North's dad is something? Like, could be four years ago now. Maybe it's two. I can't remember. George North scored a late try and his dad ran on the pitch and hugged him and Stewart's tried to bash him or something like that. <laughs> it's a terrible match. I don't remember the bashing, yeah. Absolutely shit game. But they still found a way to win. Yeah. That, was a, that was one of the worst games I've ever seen in the Six Nations. Or the Five Nations. Or even the home championships when I was uh, but a lad. Um, <clears throat> we're not going to preview the Scotland versus Italy game, but this is going to be the return of some uh, wonky predictions. Um, anyone in particular that you think might cause a surprise from any team uh, during the Six Nations uh, in a positive sense? I've long said that the Italians would win a Six Nations. Well, I've said it for about 10 years and my rapidly dwindling opportunities for them to win a Six Nations for 2020. So... I think I think Italy are going to get good results. I'm making a face with that, but yeah, I think, I think Italy are going to be far more competitive than people uh, than they have been in recent years. I think Tupuric is going to have a really good championship. Um, I don't quite think that the Welsh back row is as as I think they're going to miss Falatau hugely. I'm, I'm not a Ross Moriarty fan. Um, I think at best he's. He's definitely not as good as Toby Fowler. Yeah, but even as a six, I think he's like one-dimensional. Um, but I think Tupuric is a super, super player. Uh, I, I, it's very difficult to see like Ireland having a surprise player. I just can't. I don't see where the surprises are going to come from. Um, I think the team is established and everyone knows that the players are really good in it. You might say they're boring. <laughs> um, I think I think McKaylee Campanaro for the Italians. I think George North for the Welsh. Now that he's 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 out of Northampton, he's back playing for Wales. That's going to be his sole focus. Um, and in the forwards, it's difficult. Say, like, yeah, Tipperick's playing great for the Oscars yeah. this season. I'd, I'd agree with you on that one. I don't know where... Oh, I liked Yacouba Camara last year playing for France. Yeah, so hopefully, very good. Hopefully he gets a few opportunities for France. They, they'd be my four. Like Sinclair's very good. Kyle Sinclair's very good with the ball in hand. Had a good autumn series for England. Um, I, I think he can continue to impress with the ball in the hand, but I don't know whether the rest of his game stands up over the ball in terms of fulfilling roles as of hitting people in rocks and, of course, scrummaging. Um, Mara told you his quality, but he's not going to be a surprise. I don't think there's going to be a huge amount of surprises in the English team. Maybe Tulagi will make it through an entire tournament uninjured, which would be a surprise and would be positive for him. Uh, I like where where uh, you know people now are aware of Hugh Jones for Scotland after last year's tournament. People are definitely aware of Finn Russell because 
moving from Glasgow, where he was obviously good, to moving to this huge metropolitan club and being allowed to fucking faff around to his heart's content is really working for him. But I don't think that makes him a surprise. Um, In terms of names, Xander Fagerson is a guy with not as many caps who was injured last season. Who is yeah, really good. Yeah, so he could, he could have a big year for Scotland. Do you think Ireland will cap anyone new? Give, give somebody their first cap in the Six Nations? Yeah. No. No. And what score do you think it'll be between Ireland and England? 18-13 to Ireland. Yeah, go like with 20 points to 12 for Ireland. Yeah, I was thinking it'd be much closer, 16-13 uh, to Ireland. Okay. Well, we were terrible at this anyway. <laughs> <laughs> It arrives like the spring, but like the spring, it too lifts the hearts. First we have the snowdrops, then the daffodils, then St. Bridget's Day, and then it's time for Six Nations. (laughs) 